We're starting a new series today, Biblical Decision Making. Biblical decision making. Father, I thank you for a strong anointing to teach your people. I thank you, God, for the spirit of revelation and the spirit of wisdom. I thank you, God, that this morning you are shifting people to new levels. I thank you that it will not just be information, but it will be the impartation of revelation. I thank you that those who do not yet have a revelation of Jesus Christ shall come to a place of revelation. We open our hearts to you, Lord Jesus, and we choose to receive your word. Let it be a life-changing message for your people. In the mighty name of Jesus and the people of God said, Amen and Amen. Turn with me, please, in your Bibles, or just look at the overhead screen to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, the book of beginnings, and we're going to look at verse 27 to 28 how many of you love your bible say to the person next to you i love my bible and if you are lying don't worry it's a faith statement that's a nice thing in church we're prophetic people so i love my bible not really lord but i love it by faith amen god created man in his own image God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. When the Bible wants to emphasize a point, it repeats it. Amen? Jesus says, verily, verily, I say to you. He doesn't just say something, but we want to emphasize it. He'll say, truly, truly, I'm saying to you. So you have to take it seriously. And I wonder why it's saying it twice. Why can't it just say, God created man in his own image? It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female. Male and female. Not just guys. Male and female, he created them. Now watch what the first thing God did was. What is the first thing he did? He creates man. He gives man his image. The first thing he does, it says, God blessed them. And then he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The first thing that man was instructed to do, he was instructed to have dominion. He was instructed to go and multiply. Do you know what that means? The first thing God gave man was responsibility. Just think about it. He creates us in his image. He blesses us and he says, go now, take over. Ladies and gentlemen, he had not yet given man a bunch of rules. The only thing he had said is, don't, just don't eat from that tree. But then just go have lots of babies. The first thing man was given was responsibility. And how many of you know that with responsibility comes decision making? If you say to me, Paul, I am responsible. And I'll say, well, what, what, what are the last decisions you've had to make? How many of you find it frustrating when you're sitting in a meeting and there's no decision maker in the meeting? Simply because the person who is responsible is not there. How many of you know that when you walk into an organization, what do you want to know? When you walk in, you're like, who's the responsible person here? When you go to a pharmaceutical company, how many of you work for pharmaceutical companies? I know, uh, I know Sean Namami, you work for a pharmaceutical. I saw that when you sent me the email, right? How many of you know you go to a pharmaceutical company and even if it's commercial pharmacy, you'll always see a sign up there saying the responsible pharmacist. Amen? But the person who's responsible is also the decision maker. Is everyone following? If you say, Paul, I want to be a leader, leadership comes with responsibility. And responsibility comes with decision making capacity. And when God created man, he says, you guys are responsible for the earth. All the stuff that happens here, the hatred, the, you guys are responsible. Man then gave that over to the enemy when he yielded to the temptation from the devil. Amen? 
But God had said, you are responsible. And with responsibility comes decision making. And I believe this is a major growth step for a lot of Christians today and a lot of people in general. Amen? What's a growth step? A growth step is whatever you have to master in order to go to your next level. And the next season in this church, we're going to be dealing with these growth steps. This is a major one. Let me give you an example of growth steps. We were watching a clip the other day, and um, a couple of guys who were sharing on the clip shared a particular story, and I think it's so powerful. There's a particular lady who was part of a small group, and what happened was she had been dating a particular guy. She was dating a particular guy. I've got your attention now, because I know you look, like those kinds of stories. Oh, hey, what happened? What happened? <laughs> right? She'd been dating a particular guy, and what happened was she felt, this is not the right guy for me. How many of you have been in that space before? This is not the right guy for me. Right? And the thing is, she was not assertive as a person, so she was struggling to tell this individual. But the group began to challenge her. That's why it's important to be part of a small group. Because then we have people who are challenging us. Amen? And you cannot grow without being challenged. She was challenged and she plucked up the courage to tell this guy, listen, I just ain't into you. Okay? She told him that, look, it's over. And that was a growth step for her. Assertiveness. Assertiveness. She was assertive in that situation and took it to the next level. She became more assertive as an individual and in actual fact she ended up attracting a different type of guy because she was now more assertive as a person. Are you following me? And what was interesting was that in the end she ended up finding the guy who was the right person for her. That was a growth step. For some of you right now in your lives, Assertiveness is a growth step. For some of you, it's emotional intelligence. For some of you, it's learning to read the words. That's a growth step. And when you define what your growth step is, you then make a decision to invest in mastering that particular area. And so what we want to invest in right now, because I know for many of you, your growth step is biblical decision making. And I'm going to give you some tools over the next few weeks where you'll know this is how I make a decision in a godly way because that's a growth step. Amen? But I want to encourage you, invest in that growth step. I've seen lots of people, they'll say, I need to learn to overcome procrastination. And that's their growth step. But they never read up on it. They never listen to messages. They're always studying something else, but not something that's in line with the growth step. I have other people who say, my problem is time management. I struggle with time management. My question is, are you investing time into that growth step so that you overcome in that particular area? Is everyone following? And so this morning, we're going to look at a particular growth step, and that's how to make decisions biblically. So God says to man, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now let me tell you something. If, you're, if someone is addicted to weed, are they ruling over everything on the earth? No, it's ruling over them. Amen? We're going to go into some of this just now. So the person who is responsible is the person expected to make decisions. This means that you are responsible to make decisions. And the mistake we make very often in our lives is that we give over the decision-making power over our lives to someone else. Just think about it. So some people will give it over to God. And they say, I'm waiting for God. I'm just waiting on God. But God is waiting on you. In many instances, God is waiting on you. But you're like, whatever will be, will be. And you're fatalistic. You're passive in your decision making. We need to know, what is God supposed to decide? What am I supposed to decide? Amen? Man had to decide what to call the animals. Just think about that. He says, Adam, go and just name the animals. He had to decide what he was going to Some people just think like, well, he was just flowing in the spirits, just floating. And just had this word, and it's like, baboon. Lion. 
Man had to decide what to call the animals. Are you giving over decision-making ability to someone or something else, yet God has given it to you? Man was given responsibility before getting a whole range of rules. And we can go into the theology of that and so on, but the Ten Commandments came later on, didn't they? Right? When your will is crushed, you lose the power to make decisions. You see, your will is a part of your soul, isn't it? Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions, your intellect, and your imagination. And there are a lot of people who've been dominated in this life, abused in this life. And so when your will is crushed, you find that it affects your decision-making ability. What decisions is God calling you to make, but you're giving over to someone or something else? One of the central leadership qualities is the ability to make quality decisions. How many of you have ever worked under a leader who's indecisive? It's frustrating, isn't it? You want to know, so are we going to move ahead or not? Right? Are we going to do A, B, C, D? And they're like, well, it depends. Are we going to do X, Y, Z? Please just tell me. Let's do some scenario planning first. Are we going to do X, Y, Z? Please just tell me. Let's do some risk analysis. Are we going to do X, Y, Z? Please just tell me. Let's do some cost-benefit analysis. And they never end up making a decision. If you want to lead, you have to be able to make decisions. Amen. Decisions for your family. Decisions for your life. Decisions where you've been given delegated authority if you're a leader in the church. There are many times when we put people into leadership roles and they want us to give them all the answers, but we've said we've empowered you to decide. Amen. Amen. Now here's the scary thing. Very often your life, to a large extent, is a summation of the choices that you make. Your life is a summation of the choices that you make. So there are major decisions that I've made in my life, and those major decisions will affect the daily decisions. If you've made a decision that you want to lose weight, how many of you know that it will affect the decision you make whether to say yes or no to that donut? If you've made a major decision in your life that you know what, I need to watch my health, it will affect that daily decision when you go to a restaurant and they say, do you want it with chips or salad? <laughs> My wife often gently says to me, my love, you, you, you've got power to choose, hey? You know, like when you're in a restaurant, you've actually got the power, hey? You don't have to say, oh, they gave me with the oily chips. It came. It was part of, it was part. They couldn't change it. It comes standard with chips. <laughs> Amen? Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15 to 20. The book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verses 15 to 20. See, I set before you today, what? And prosperity, death and destruction. You've got a choice, ladies and gentlemen. It says, for I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. How I many if you want to be blessed? But if your heart turns away, your heart doesn't just turn away you turn away. If your heart turns away and you're not obedient and if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess the Jordan, the Alexa Jordan. Okay. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witness against you that I have set before you, says it again, it's an important statement, life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. That's a choice. Now choose life. Say to the person next to you, choose life. Choose life. Here's an important principle. 
every single decision I make is either taking my life towards life or towards death. Each time I procrastinate forgiving my wife, if I've got an issue with her, I'm making a decision towards death. Each time I make a decision to actively love my wife, I'm making a decision towards life. Amen? Each time you get up early and you choose to pray, you are making a decision towards life. Each time you are lazy, you are making a decision towards death and destruction. And your life is a summation of those choices that you make. Everyone following? Now, there are different types of decisions we have to make. Different types. I want to give you some examples. Marriage. You choose who you're going to marry. Amen? Now, we know people who we were at university with way back in the day, and we can see some of them who were strong leaders in the church that we were part of because of who they chose to marry, especially the girls. Because of who those girls chose to marry, very often it put a cap on them. Are you following me? It limited their potential. Their potential was great, but how their lives have turned out has become limited because of who they chose to marry. How many single ladies do we have here? Come on, all the single ladies, all the single ladies. Yo, this is your time, your time to shine, right? All the single ladies in the house. Yo, hey, right? Now I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question. Do you truly trust that God will give you his best? No, I'm asking do you. The answer is yes or no, not amen. <laughs> it was a question. <laughs> Okay, because I see a lot of ladies, single ladies, settling. Better the devil you know, Paul. Amen? And yet I've seen some ladies who were at university with back in the day who were average, who were sort of in the background in the church that we were a part of, and they married great guys who believed in them, who saw their potential, who stayed true in their walk with the Lord, and these, girls, these ladies are doing amazing things today. So there's the decision to get married. There's a decision you make concerning your level of faith. There's a decision you make concerning the friends you have. Decisions concerning alliances. Decisions concerning geographical moves. Where you're going to live. Decisions concerning going deeper with God. You can, it's a choice right now. You can choose the type of Christian that you're going to be. Am I just going to be a pure warmer and as long as we're not sinning, as long as I remain faithful with my to my wife... And I just pitch up every Sunday, then I'm okay. I've got my fire insurance. Or am I going to go deeper? How many of you want to go deeper? Yes. It's a decision that you make. You make decisions concerning studying. What are you going to study? You make a decision concerning having a difficult conversation. Decisions concerning your career. Decisions, decisions concerning how, will you, how you will use your time. If I'm with my kids, am I killing time? Am I spending time or am I investing time? That's a choice. It's a daily choice that you have to make. Decisions concerning your health. Decisions concerning your habits. Those of you who are addicted to things, there's a decision you can make that I'm not going to let this thing rule over me. Decisions concerning church choice. Amen? We make, we make choices concerning the church we choose to be a member of. You don't just go to any church. You choose based on what is taught there. What's the doctrine? What's the character of the leaders there? Do I trust them? Is it somewhere where I can make friends? Where I can be part of a community? Is it somewhere where my gifts can be exercised and used? And what's the vision of the church? Where is it going? You don't get onto a bus going to PE if your goal and vision is to go to Cape Town. Amen? It's a decision. You make a decision concerning what sports you'll do. How many of you are good at multiple sports? You're good at many different sports. How many of you are, you can't do everything you're good at? You make a decision. 
You make a decision concerning things to give up, things to relinquish. You make a decision concerning forgiving. You make a decision concerning what we call scalability. How much are you going to grow? How much is your business going to grow? Is it going to be global or is it just going to be regional? What's your trajectory? You make a decision. So my question to you this morning is, are there any areas of self-deauthorization in your life where God has permitted you to decide, but you still need to give yourself permission to make that decision? You see, when it comes to decision-making, there are boundaries. Sometimes we tend to make decisions that aren't ours to make. And we make decisions on behalf of other people. Other times we want other people to make decisions on behalf of us. How many of you know that when it comes to your faith, you make a decision as an individual? You can't say, no, no, the faith of my extended family is this. It's an individual decision that someone has to make. How many of you know that you are responsible for your attitude? We can't say, this is our attitude and this is the attitude of everyone in this church. We're responsible as individuals for our attitude. How many of you know that you decide whom to marry? You can't blame someone else. Oh no, it was the pressure I was under. My, my mother wanted me to get married. She was desperate for me to get married and have babies. So that's why I chose this guy. No, you are responsible. Are you getting this? God has given you the power to choose, but here's the catch. Our choices have consequences. Now, there are different ways of making decisions. There is the biblical decision-making process that I'm going to take you through. But there are counterfeits to biblical decision-making. And hence my point that for many of us in this room, a growth step for us is to learn to make decisions biblically. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this this morning because for many people, they make a decision biblically for things that are unimportant. They use a biblical approach. So you see them praying about whether to have this chocolate or that chocolate. Whether to buy this color shoe or that color shoe. They go and they seek your counsel. Ever heard that? Please don't come to me asking what color shoes you should wear. But we're good at that, especially ladies with each other. What do you think I should wear, this or this? Or that or that? Which shop should I get this from? Ooh! And they seek wise counsel concerning unimportant things. But when it comes to major life decisions like who to get married to, what do they say? I just felt in my heart, you know, Paul, you just know this is the guy. <laughs> That's where you should be seeking counsel now. Amen? Amen. And don't seek counsel after the act. Many people do that. This is what we've decided. Can you pray for me, Pastor? Yeah, Pastor, I'm going to this country and I'll be based there because I've got a job there. But my wife is 2,000 miles away from me. But, you know, and Pastor, can you just pray that things are fine? I'm like, how is this going to work out? Amen? So what are some alternatives to biblical decision-making? Number one, it's what I call soulish decision-making. Soulish decision-making. What are some examples of soulish decision-making? These are decisions that stem from things like selfish ambition. Decisions that come from a place of anger. I was just so angry with them and I ended up doing this. These are rash decisions that come from a place of impatience. When you're counseling people, instruct them and ask them, are you making this decision as a spirit-led, godly decision, or are you making it as a decision that is soulish? It's where you make a decision stemming from offense. Can I go there? <laughs> it's where you make a decision based on unhealthy competition. How many of you know that we've got healthy competition, but there's unhealthy competition? Oh no, I also want to do that sport. Why? Because my brother is doing it. Oh no, I also am going to apply for a job in that industry. Why? Because my brother is doing it or my sister is doing it. Unhealthy competition. And those of you who are competitive, it's good... But when it's overextended and overused, you end up wanting to win at all costs. You see it happening, don't you? 
soulish decision making when you make decisions based on envy and jealousy when you make decisions based on the fear of being left behind why did you end up doing that that's one of the reasons why a lot of people get married I felt left behind it's sometimes it's called old maid syndrome that feeling of all my friends are married and I've always been the bridesmaid I want to be a bride give me any guy any dude Sometimes we make decisions stemming from insecurity, where we feel insecure. Those are soulish decisions. Amen? Number two, another alternative to biblical decision-making is what I call passive decision-making, where you are passive. How many of you know that making no decision is a decision in itself? You hear people, they give so much, time, so much power to time, and they say, oh, no, we'll just see what happens with time. They're dating a guy and they say, ah, we'll just see, time will tell. There are a lot of people who are destroyed because of passivity. Seek God's face and see, is this the right thing or the wrong thing? If it's the right thing, you pursue it. If it's the wrong thing, you leave it. As opposed to, whatever will be, will be. Amen? How many of you know that passivity, it's a bit like what's happening to Tottenham Hotspurs. Who's a Tottenham supporter here? Okay. Tottenham hasn't been winning a, a lot of games at Wembley. That's their current home ground. And what are they talking about? They're talking about the Wembley hoodoo. And they think there's some, they're acting like there's some curse. But I was listening to commentators and they were saying, we must stop this whole hoodoo thing. They must just finish off their chances. Amen. If I go to someone and I say, your business is failing, you must read this book on how to turn around your business. And they say, no, pastor, my brother is bewitching me. <laughs> they put, they're blaming someone or something else instead of taking responsibility that, you know what, I need to make a few decisions. I need to lead differently. Amen. That's passivity. That's passivity. The third type of counterfeit decision-making, alternative forms of decision-making is fear-based decision-making. When you make a decision stemming from fear, fear will never produce good fruit, ladies and gentlemen. Fear will never do what? It will never produce good fruit. The Bible tells us that wisdom is judged by her fruit. An example of this is when a single lady says, you know what, I just stayed on in that bad relationship because I was afraid of being alone. That's a fear-based decision, amen? I'm afraid of being alone. Oh, I went to that horrible party where they were doing evil things because of FOMO. FOMO is fear of missing out, isn't it? That's a fear. That's a fear. One of my kids said to me, I said, Daddy, can I watch such and such a program? Then I said, but it's, it's, you're underage for that particular program. Why do you really want to watch it? Oh, my friend at school, or so-and-so at school, was, was saying how cool it is, and they were telling me stories about it, so I've got FOMO. <laughs> so if he watches because of fear of missing out, that's a fear-based decision. Amen? For some people, it's the fear of being left behind where you miss God's timing on a particular thing because you don't want to be left behind by other people. I coach lots of people and you'll see them comparing themselves with friends from university or friends from school who are now working maybe in a different industry or different organization. And they say, Paul, you know what? I'm just worried because I think there's a ceiling for me here because I've seen what my other friends are doing. So it might be a number of CAs, for example, and say, being a CA in this organization, but I've seen the ones there, my other friends look at their positions run your own race run your own race because with those very same people I was also saying but look at the benefits of being in this organization look at the prestige of being in this organization look what it does to your CV amen 
I studied for six years straight, so I went straight through to my master's, no break, nothing. And you can imagine what it's like when you get offered a job after your first degree and all your friends are there buying cars and things like that, right? And they're studying and uh, well, they're not studying, they're buying cars, they're working, they're being promoted and so on. And when you carry on studying, you can think to yourself, I'm being left behind. Maybe I should also go to the big city, to Joburg, and get a job. <laughs> That's the pressure, isn't it? Now, if I was bound by the fear of being left behind, I might have shortchanged my destiny. But I'm so glad that I continued studying straight through because then I quantum leaped in terms of my profession. Amen? Then number four, Decisions made from victim stance. Decisions made from a place of victim stance. What do we mean by victim stance? Where you play the victim. No, they bullied me. No, but Paul, in my culture, this is what I have to do. You are responsible. Some of us, when we were challenged in certain areas or people wanted us to do certain things, we said no. Amen? So you can also do the same thing. No, Paul, as a Makoti, you know, they need to really respect me. I'm a, I want to be a good daughter-in-law. So ee, I just have to go with what they want. What if it's not according to the word of God? Amen. He manipulated me into it. He bullied me into it. You see, often we point fingers at the person bullying instead of looking at the target. You see, the thing that interests me isn't so much the bully, because there are many bullies around. The thing that interests me is those antennas in you that cause you to be controlled by the bully. What is it in you that needs to do what the bully wants you to do? Just think about that. Maybe you see them as your source of promotion, and that's why you'll do whatever they want you to do. I know, yeah, it's because my boss wanted it, but what is your conscience saying? I know I just decided to do it because Paul I can't afford to lose my job what is your conscience saying amen so what is the process of making a decision in a biblical manner can I go into that now what is the process of making a decision all these decisions we're talking about health decisions marital decisions career decisions how do we do it in a godly manner i want to give you seven guidelines there are probably many more but let's keep it simple i want to give you seven as i take you through these please try and figure out what's the growth step for you when it comes to decision making are you ready Number one, alignment with the word of God. Alignment with the word of God. Colossians 3 verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. In other words, you must know the word well. With all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. What does admonishing mean? To admonish can mean to warn, to guide, to urge, to advise, or to command. So in other words, we must admonish one another according to the word. We must guide one another according to the word. Amen? Admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So ask yourself, is what I am doing scriptural? Is what I'm doing according to the word of God? Right? If it's not according to God's word, then don't do it. We'll talk about the gray areas just now. But if it's not according to God's word, don't do it. So if you are a single lady and there's a dude that comes along that's very charming, that makes you feel good about yourself, so you think, and then you ask him, are you born again? Not are you religious, not do you go to church, are you born again? And he says, what's that? Let's, let, let's talk about it. Let's have a debate. What, what do you mean exactly? The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. So, you can pray as much as you want. Lord, is this the right person for me? Oh, I had a dream, pastor. I had a vision. The first thing is alignment with the word of God. Amen? what I want to do scriptural does it glorify Jesus 
John 8 verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Please do not call yourself a disciple if you're not willing to continue in his word. There's no discipleship outside of the word of God. Amen? Philippians 4 verse 8, finally brethren, whatever is true, so is what I'm doing true, whatever is honorable, is it honorable, is my relationship honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Does it line up with this scripture? Amen? So what's the first guideline? Alignment with the word of God. Alignment with the word of God. Number two, your conscience. Your conscience. The Bible tells us that God has written eternity in the hearts of man. So God has given us a conscience. Romans 2 verse 14 to 15 says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these, not having the law, are a law to themselves. How many of you know that in every society in the world, murdering someone is wrong? They didn't have to read a verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt not murder. God has written eternity in the hearts of man. Murder is wrong. You can't just go and just kill another person. Amen? Right? Now watch this. It says, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alter alternately accusing or else defending them. So what's happening within your conscience concerning a particular decision? You hear some people saying, I know, Paul, I knew that what I was doing was wrong. Have you ever heard that before? I knew even while I was doing it, I knew it was wrong. But hey, the flesh took over. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. <laughs> right? You hear people saying that. But now be very careful with regards to your conscience because your conscience can become seared. What do we mean by that? If I take a hot iron and I burn you with it, what ends up happening? You have a mark, right? A big mark here. And what happens? Can you feel pain there anymore? You can't. I can come and try and pinch you there. It's seared. It's seared, right? That's why you have people who are serial killers. What happens? They murder someone, and then a year down the line, they murder someone else. Then afterwards, they're not feeling much anymore. Six months down the line, they murder someone else. Then you start finding they're murdering people once a week. Then it's once a night. Their conscience has become seared. Or you've got two people who are single, but they're sleeping together, even though the, the Bible has a whole lot to say about fornication. But what happens? It happens once, and there's that guilt. Oh, oh, it's not a good thing. Then it happens again. Then it happens again. And in the end, their conscience is seared. I remember sometimes counseling various people and I'd say, well, what is happening in your relationship? Why were you going this way? And you'll have Christians who would say, ah, I just thought it was okay. Just in any relationship I was with, it just felt fine. It was fine. Their conscience was seared in that area. Yet when it comes to something else, when it comes to something else like lying, what happens? Oh, no, no, don't lie. That's lying. Lying is bad. Are you following me? Your conscience can be seared in one area, but not another. So what is your conscience saying concerning the particular thing? And our consciences get sharpened as we go deeper into the word. Have you noticed that? As you become a stronger Christian, certain things that you were comfortable with, you're no longer comfortable with. Certain words that are fairly vulgar that some Christians use, you find yourself, you can never say that particular thing. Even though technically speaking, it's not necessarily a swear word. How many of you know what I'm talking about? But you're doing that because your conscience is sharpened concerning that particular thing. But it's only sharpened based on the amount of word you have concerning that particular thing. Is everyone hearing me this morning? In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, it says, By means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Right? So number one, what's the first guideline? The word. Number two, your conscience. Number three, prophetic alignment. Prophetic alignment. 
I like this scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. It says here, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. I love that. Paul was not giving Timothy commands, do this, do this, do this, that were going against the prophecies over Timothy's life that Paul might have been the one who decreed. Are you following? Or other people. Remember when Timothy was released into ministry, it says what? Stir up the gift of God that came to you through the word of prophecy when the elders laid hands upon you. Right? And now Timothy is saying, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. So how do we wage war? We wage war according to prophecy, don't we? That's one of the ways of waging war. So what has God spoken to you concerning your life and now when you're making these decisions don't be the kind of person who comes up and one week you're saying the Lord told me that my primary sphere of influence is Africa he spoke to me very clearly in an inner audible voice and then next week you're saying hey yeah so yeah we're immigrating to Australia either that word you must actually reject and say I think I missed God concerning that word because God is not confused. So when you're making decisions in your life, don't look at the prophetic word in isolation from scripture, in isolation from your conscience. In other words, don't say, the Lord is just showing me that that guy over there, I know he's married, but I reckon he's the one for me. <laughs> the prophetic word must be aligned with scripture. Amen? But I love this. I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. You see, sometimes we play around with the prophetic. We forget about the words that we've received. And it's like God is saying something to us each week. And those of you who remember your prophetic words or have written them out, sometimes you might actually say, wait a minute, there's a bit of a contradiction here. Which one are you going to check out? Is it the latest word you got where you're like, oh, it's not in line with what I've heard before? Or is it the previous word you got that might have missed God? Amen? Prophetic alignment. I like it in the NLT. It says, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. The Lord showed me something about one of my boys in terms of what they're called to. Show me something this morning. I haven't even discussed it with my wife yet, so I'm not going to discuss it with you. Right? But he showed me something. And he says, are you, because of me calling him to that, are you willing to mentor him according to that? It will require your time. It will require showing him certain things to inspire him. But there's a strong grace on his life in this particular area. What happens? You give commands, you give instruction according to the prophetic word. Amen? There must be alignment. There must be consistency. You see, there's power in agreeing with words spoken in the past. This is a powerful weapon of war. God is not confused. If there's no consistency with what God has said in the past, then ask, am I in a new season? Did that word that he gave me, was it just applying to that previous season and now things have changed? Because that often happens. Sometimes we have words for seasons. Amen? Sometimes that's the case. But the principle here is give instruction in accordance with words that people have received, unless God is doing something new, something fresh. Okay? Acts chapter 16, verse 9 to 10. During the night, Paul had a vision. Everyone say, Paul had a vision. I receive it, I receive it, I receive it. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and pleading with him. Come over to Macedonia and help us. As soon as Paul had seen the vision, everyone say as soon as. As soon as Paul had seen the vision, we got ready to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, this is interesting. He made a decision based on a vision. Are you you're following? 
It's there in the Bible. He made a decision based on a vision. But he had to say to himself, wait a minute, let me think through this a bit. That's why it says he concluded that this is what this meant. The problem with some of you is you receive prophetic words, but you're not coming to a conclusion. You see, he concluded, he judged the prophecy. He believed he was on track. He believed it was a good thing for him to go to Macedonia. He believed it was God's way of speaking to him. And he concluded on that basis that they needed to do that. And immediately these guys went and they did it. Some of you get prophetic words, but you're not coming to a conclusion. Things that have been declared over your life multiple times three years ago, five years ago, but you just put them on the shelf, you don't come to a conclusion. He came to a conclusion and he acted on the word. It's one of the ways God leads us. Amen. Right. Number four, the peace of God. The peace of God. Not your own peace. The peace of God. Colossians 3 verse 15. It says, let the peace of Christ, I'm reading from the Amplified, let the peace of Christ, the inner calm of one who walks daily with him, be the controlling factor in your hearts, deciding and settling questions that arise. To this peace indeed you are called as members of one body. Some translations say, let the peace of God be the umpire in all the decisions that you make. How many of you know that sometimes we feel restless about something? We don't feel a peace about it, but we still ignore that, we suppress it, and we make the decision anyway, and then we regret it. Amen? Let the peace of God, not your own peace. Let me just say something about emotions. Emotions are very interesting. Because you see, emotions affect both our flesh. You can have fleshly emotions. But you can also have the regenerated man. So you can experience the joy of the Lord. You can feel a godly type of happiness that's a good thing. Are you following? How many of you know that you can experience a positive emotion but it's an illegitimate emotion. So a guy can say to you, a married man can come up to you, ladies, and say, oh, you look so fine. And it boosts you and you're delighted. Is delight a positive emotion? It's a positive emotion, but is it good to feel delighted if someone who's cheating on their spouse comes and says that to you? So in that case, it's an illegitimate emotion. How many of you know that you can have a negative emotion like sadness or anger? Let's say you hear news that um, sister so-and-so was raped by that particular person and you feel angry. How many of you know that anger is a negative emotion but you're angry for the right reasons? Amen. My question to you is, are you feeling peaceful for the wrong reasons? Are you feeling happy for the wrong reasons? Just think about it. So be very careful with your emotions. That's why your emotions very often shouldn't be the only factor to go by when it comes to decision making. Because our emotions can be quite deceitful. Amen? But here it's talking about the peace of God. That peace that you experience in your spirit, man. The peace of God. Let it be the umpire in the decisions that you make. It must be God's peace. It must be God's peace. Number five, wise counsel. Wise counsel. Let me just say this. Some of you have made bad decisions in the past and because of that you're not confident when it comes to your decision-making ability. How many of you can identify with me? You're not comfortable and so you don't really trust yourself and that's why wise counsel is good. Because you know, oh, this is an area of weakness. I thought, last time I thought this was the right dude. Last time I thought this was the right deal. So you're in a place where you don't fully trust yourself and that's why it's good for us to have all these guidelines when it comes to making decisions. But I want to encourage you, God's best for you is for you to also be able to listen to that inner voice. For you to also be able to see, do I have a peace about this thing? Often when it comes to relational things, I say to people, is the yes getting bigger? When someone starts a new business with a particular business partner, I say, is the yes getting bigger? In other words, are you growing in your sense of settledness about it? Are you in a place in your life where, you know what, each time when I'm with that person, Paul, I'm just unsettled. 
That's why we have wise counsel. Proverbs 12, verse 15. And what's interesting, this always happens in services and so on, but um, it's as if uh, Sean Roberts was reading my notes. But Proverbs 12, verse 15, it says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Some of you don't listen to counsel. I don't need to say that again, right? Said it clear, finish clear. Some of you, you don't listen to counsel. Proverbs 24, verse 6. For by wise guidance, you will wage war. In other words, you might be a general, but by wise guidance, you will wage war. Right? And in the abundance of counselors, there is victory. Proverbs 27, verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. So a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. Sometimes we think counsel should just come from pastors. No, you should have high caliber friends that can counsel you. One of the functions of a good friend is counsel. Amen? I don't expect to be the only counselor in this church. You should be counseling each other based on the wisdom from the word of God. Amen? I'm concerned for you if you've got friends who give you bad counsel. And I see this happening. And forgive me, I keep using this relational example. Where you'll have someone going after some dubious dude. And the friends are afraid to tell that person the truth. Oh, she'll think that I'm jealous. So ee, I don't want to say anything, pastor, but can you tell her? Do you have friends that can give you wise counsel? Or they tell you what you want, what they think you want to hear? Proverbs 15 verse 22. Without counsel, plans fail. Without counsel, what happens to your plans? They fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. So in important decisions, don't just have one advisor. Have a number of people you trust. Some people who don't even know each other. Because you want the balance. Hey guys, what do you think? Hey guys, we're thinking of immigrating. Can you pray with us concerning this, please? And tell me what your stance is. Amen? You see, as pastors, we don't force ourselves into your lives. Some people say, yeah, no, this is what we've decided to do. Okay, you've decided that. I'm not going to force my opinion. Amen? It's not, not heavy shepherding where we say, you know, this is the color car you must drive. This is the car. Some of you make decisions or some of you, you only want to have your breakthrough first. Then you'll come for counsel. Now you see, pastor, it's happened. But maybe if you come weeks before that, months before that, we can actually help you in your journey. And there's the power of agreement. Amen. I've heard amazing testimonies from some of the small groups just in terms of the power of agreement. But we can only agree with you if we know. Amen. All right. Now watch this. Watch this. In Proverbs 18, verse 1. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. What's the mark of a good friend? One of the marks of a good friend is that they can wound you. Not a bad type of wound, but they can be straight with you. And you still feel secure because you know that they love you. Be very careful about the kisses from an enemy. Amen? Now here's the thing, you can get wise counsel face to face. You can get wise counsel just from reading a particular book on a particular matter. But I think face to face and being in transparent relationships is good. Number six, what we call providential circumstance. Providential circumstance. Are the circumstances lining up? I was speaking to a particular person the other day, right? And I said, what happens if you get married to a guy who lives in Durban? Right? And you decide to quit your job. He's got a business there. And you're now there with him. But you're passionate about counseling. You've always been passionate about that. And in the following month, there's an opportunity for you to go and do counseling training, but in another country. What do you do? The circumstances are showing that, wait a minute, I've just got married. 
How can I now just got married and now I'm uprooting myself and I'm going to that other country? Does that make sense? There are times when we have to look at providential circumstances and say to ourselves, how is God lining up the circumstances of my life in a way that directs me? If you are praying, Lord, should we move? We don't know whether we should move houses or not. I'm not too sure, Lord, should we move? And then your house suddenly burns down the following day. How many of you know that the circumstances are showing you that, you know, we probably need to move? I'm using an extreme example to make a point, right? Now, have a look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 to 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 to 13. Is everyone here? Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, and a door stood open for me in the Lord. Did a door open for him? A door opened for him. Was the door in the Lord or out of the Lord? Was he going to be doing a good thing or a bad thing? A good thing, right? But look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. I had no peace in my spirit because I did not find my brother Titus there. This is so powerful because we see a few dimensions of how God leads, isn't it? You see, some of you, you feel dispeaceful about something and you think you're just feeling dispeaceful for the sake of being dispeaceful. No, there's a reason behind it. And in this particular case, he wasn't feeling peace because the circumstances had not lined up. Door open, not feeling a peace. But he could have insisted and said, but we need to preach the gospel, let's push ahead. No. Paul was thinking himself, I'm a team player. I cannot go by myself. I'm not a lone ranger. I will only go into this area when I have a Titus with me. Because my circumstances have not lined up, I'm staying put. And what does he end up saying? He says, because I did not find my brother Titus there, so I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. Isn't that powerful? For some of you in situations where you're like, oh, I want to do business in such and such a region. Do you have a license yet to do the business there? No. So the circumstances are showing that, you know what, until you get that license that allows you to do business in that particular region, it's probably not the right time. First work on getting a license. Amen? Number seven. This is the final one I want to share with you today, and it's timing. Timing. How many of you know that you can make the right decision at the wrong time? A lot of the great businesses today that we know about, all these Apples and Microsofts and so on, a lot of times the breakthrough is because of the timing. A lot of times it's because people were, had the right ideas and acted at the right time when the climate was right. I've got a friend, a very clever guy, an old friend of mine, and he invents things. He was the kind of guy when you're describing as an IT person, you'll say, Paul, no, we're not into IT. IT, anyone can say they're an IT person. What we're doing, Paul, is at another level, it's something else, okay? This guy would invent things. And you remember the days of Mixit? You know, Mixit that people use and so on, okay? I think it was some time before that, these, this guy came up with a similar sort of thing and he would even say, no, 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 we, we, our thing is at another level, Paul, it's not Mixit. But they only ended up using it within his organization and in his family. And you know what he said to me? He said, South Africa was not yet ready for it. Now, he's someone, he's a wealthy guy and so on, does all sorts of other things, but he could have been a billionaire today, but a lot of times it's about timing. That's what he said to me. He said, South Africa was not yet ready for it. Some of you, God has given you a vision. He's given you a dream. But now you have to be sensitive to times and seasons. I still remember being part of a particular organization and I used to challenge them concerning certain things and I would say, but let's do it this way, but you must do it that way. And God spoke to me and he says, Paul, I've given you a blueprint, but the blueprint that I've given you is not for this organization. It's for something that you're going to build, but later on. Amen? You see, the timing of the vision isn't always the timing of the action. 
The timing of the impartation of revelation from the Lord is not always the timing of the impartation verbally. There's revelation that God was giving me. I think it was yesterday. I was sharing it with my, with my wife, writing out various things and so on. But it's stuff I'm only going to teach maybe early next year. Amen? Timing. Proverbs 19 verse 2 says, Also, it is not good for a person to be without knowledge. It is not good for a person to be without knowledge. And he who makes haste with his feet errs. You see, sometimes we can do things quickly and we justify it and we say, you know what, I like moving fast, I like moving fast. But there's a fleshly side of us that's actually impatient, that has to be uprooted. It's one thing to move quickly. I remember I once had a word over my life that, that I've got quick feet. Right? And there's nothing wrong with having quick feet. And often it's a strength. But overused, sometimes it could be impatience. Where you don't want to wait. Where you don't want to just hold back a couple of weeks. And you know what? When it comes to timing, don't just wait not doing anything. Ask yourself, Lord, if the timing isn't right, why isn't it right? And God says, you know what? I want you to be more prepared. I want you to pray more into this thing. I want you to ask for so-and-so's counsel. There's something you're doing actively during that time of waiting. If you look at the word for wait in the Hebrew, it's the word kavah, and it's to do with intertwining yourself. Okay, it's an active pursuing of God. It's not just a passive, ah, we're just going to wait for the right time. Ah, I'm just waiting. Hey, we'll just wait and we'll see when the time is right. No, what are you doing while you're waiting? Amen. Proverbs 21 verse 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage. But everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. Everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. I was speaking to a guy who's an ex-gangster. He's now got a legitimate job. He's an entrepreneur. But he's someone who I was, I've been mentoring, not from this church, but he's an ex-gangster. And I asked him a few questions. And I said, what caused you to stop? And he said, you know what, Paul? I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that confirmed, okay, he's born again. And I stopped. But also, I started having my kids. And I didn't want them growing up with the same lifestyle. And I said to him, but what got you into this? What gets people into gangsterism? Okay, he's a Soweto guy. And he said something interesting. He says, Paul, we grew up seeing our uncles who were gangsters, driving fancy Mercedes-Benz. How many of you are Mercedes-Benz people? Benzes, <laughs> right? We would see them driving these flashy cars. You know, he said something interesting. He says, these uncles of ours are now sitting in Santon, living in Santon, working in Santon with legit jobs. But they were gangsters back in the day. A lot of guys who were gangsters aren't gangsters anymore. I don't, you guys know that, right? If you speak to them. And he said something interesting. He says, but our mindset was we wanted what they had, but we wanted it now. So I said, impatience. He said, yes. Then he says, the other thing that got, got us into gangsterism was, Paul, it's not easy going to work every day. Paul, it's difficult going, getting up in the morning and going to work every day. So I said, laziness. He said, yes. So I said, okay, there was impatience and there was laziness and that got you into gangsterism. Yes. And I look at scripture here and what does it say? It says in Proverbs 18, in Proverbs 21 verse 5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage. Might take you some time, but it will give you the advantage. But everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. Please don't be conned by these get-rich-quick schemes. Because sometimes they try and get you because you're greedy. All these things that pop up on the internet that you check out. How to make X number with just sitting at home. How to make this amount of money not working at all. It always starts with quite a bit of work. Later on you can sit and have the passive income, but it always starts with quite a bit of work. Diligence. Amen? So my question is, before you are making these decisions, do you have all the facts yet? Whatever decision you want to make, do you have the facts yet? I counsel people premaritally, and I'm shocked how many people don't know certain things about the person they're about to marry. And sometimes it's in the conversations where we're like, 
Okay, well, you guys, clearly there's stuff you need to talk about. I counsel, I coach people as individuals, and they tell me stuff, and they say, but my husband doesn't actually know, hey, Paul. I'm like, huh? Do you have all the facts yet? Proverbs 18, verse 13, it says, He who gives an answer before he hears, it is, it is folly and shame to him. Many people say things without the facts. Proverbs 18, verse 17, The first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. And sometimes you're pleading your own case. You get up and you say, this is what I want to do with my life. And you seem right until someone else comes and gives you another perspective. So what are the seven things we're going to use as guidelines when we make our decisions? Okay. It's not time for tongues at the moment. All right. Number one, alignment with the word of God. Number two, your conscience. Number three, Prophetic alignment. Number four, the peace of God. Number five. Number six. <laughs> Do you guys know what providential means? The, the way some people were saying it, it was like, hmm, there's a bit suspect there. I was hearing provincial, provincial circumstance. No, guys. Uh -uh. Providential circumstance. In other words, God orchestrated circumstances. Yeah? All right? And number seven, the timing must be right. And those are the seven I wanted to give you today. Let's pray, ladies and gentlemen.